Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Booyah from the Bay Area. Welcome to a special San Francisco edition of Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When you're on the hunt for winning stocks, you should be focused on one word. Innovation. If you find innovation, you've taken the first step on the journey toward a potential touchdown. If you don't find innovation, you could end up hitting the goalposts and losing the game. Ooh, I'm sorry, Chicago, but I couldn't resist. I mean, fly, goes fly. Companies that know how to innovate and strut their stuff turn into market-leading stocks that can create tremendous wealth. Even on days where the market roars higher and then gives up much of the gains, like today where the Dow ultimately rallied 98 points, S&P advanced 0.7%, and NASDAQ climbed 1.26%, although the industry spent most of the day at far more lofty levels. And that's why I came out to San Francisco this week, to cover the amazing new creations that so many companies reveal at J.P. Morgan's annual healthcare conference. What a confab. Not that long ago, if you told me uh, that you were going to invest in innovation, that would have meant investing in tech. But you know what? Tech's hit a bit of a wall here. We aren't seeing anything truly breathtaking from the entire tech sector. Nothing that makes you think, I need that, or I got to have it, or my company must have it. It's life or death. Uh, Unless, of course, you count augmented reality emojis. You know where you really find real levels of innovation, though? It's in healthcare. Let me give you some examples. Take Loxo Oncology. You probably never heard of it before. It was a stock that was just under 140 bucks on Friday. Well, today it's $232. $232. Because Eli Lilly recognized that the bear market in biotech was over. And it gave them a chance to snap up this cutting-edge business for a discount to what it might be worth otherwise. Lilly's paying $8 billion for Loxo, which is developing a pipeline of targeted anti-cancer drugs, small company up in New England, that are dependent on single-gene abnormalities. abnormalities. Let me put it in English. Now that we're able to easily sequence DNA, Lilly wants to marry that technology with drugs that harness it to search and destroy cancer cells as early as possible. Of course, this isn't the kind of thing that can happen overnight. We're just getting to the point where DNA sequencing is good enough for this product to work. And you only tend to see these machines at the best hospitals. In the hands of a little company like Loxo, this anti-cancer technology might have really gone nowhere, frankly. But in the hands of big pharma titan Eli Lilly, it can be blown out worldwide. Can you imagine, say, a, a Shanghai hospital you know, where they treat about 500,000 people? They, 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 what could they do? Well, if you have the gene for a particular kind of lung cancer caused by smoking, and sadly they smoke so much in China, Loxo could be a lifesaver. Initially, Eli Lilly's stock took a hit as people assumed 
that they overpaid. But as Dave Ricks, the CEO of Lilly, explained to me, you have a conceptual win that will now be a real win, potentially giving a stock momentum for years to come. Loxo's technology is visionary and now belongs to Lilly, and the stock went higher because of it. I want people to understand that for the longest time when we thought of big pharma, we thought about Me Too drugs, patent extenders that endlessly raised prices for the same old remedies. It almost seemed like these companies literally outsourced innovation, became little more than gigantic, big sales forces that push product. But you know what? That's no longer the case. That's what's so exciting about being out here. Take the Vardis. That's run by the remarkable Dr. Vass Narasimhan. Okay, Vass is a guy who went to Harvard Med School. He's a doctor, okay? He's got a master's degree in public policy from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. He also happens to be an actual scientist. This guy's reinventing Novartis, offloading Alcon, a consumer and some would say commodity producer of eye care products. Maybe use their solutions, I do. Instead, he's focused on 26 drugs in the company's pipeline, many of which could turn out to be blockbusters that produce billions in sales. You'll hear from Vass later tonight. Pay close attention to what he's doing with gene therapy, with radiation therapy, and with heart failure. Now, there's an area where there hasn't been any meaningful innovation in years. Or how about Emma Walmsley? who runs GlaxoSmithKline. Now, I've never really wanted to recommend this stock because it always reminded me of a bond. Glaxo yields 5%. It's giving you consistently a lot of income. Oh, exciting. Well, that's what many investors want from Big Pharma, but not me. Uh-uh. I want breakthroughs. I want new and different. I want life-saving products that met huge unmet needs. Until Walmsley got there, the culture of Glaxos just didn't seem like it could innovate. But now the company is a fount of innovation. That's why Walmsley just combined her consumer products division with Pfizer's in a joint venture. The idea of spinning them off into a separate company three years down the road. Now, I know many of you may be contracted to this new consumer company that is number one or number two brands in a host of categories. You know them all. They own Advil, Chapstick, Tums, Voltaren, Terraflu, uh, Polyden, Rubitussin, Rubitussin, Sensodyne, I use it, and Excedrin. And Excedrin migraine. I like it. Some good cash flow, some dominant products. But they're hardly the kind of products we want from a pharmaceutical company. We want innovation. Forget Advil. We want Frank Zappa and the mothers of innovation. <laughs> Which is exactly what Wamsley's giving us. Under her leadership, Glaxo is a vaccine against shingles. You taking it? Everybody should go take this. You need it to prevent that horrible disease. Go take it. She has the latest HIV treatment. She's working on using 23andMe, you check that thing out, to spot hereditary illnesses that before they strike. And she spent $5 billion buying Tessera, which is doing some amazing work on ovarian cancer. Of course, her stock got hit when she did it. Short-sighted. That's why I like GlaxoSmithKline right here. What else? All right, how about migraines, a subject I know far too intimately for comfort. Millions upon millions of people have suffered from migraines. To those who don't get them, it sounds like, hey, I got a big headache. I say, give me a break. Migraines can be so debilitating that it's hard to put your clothes on in the morning. There are days where you can't possibly work. But then along comes Eli Lilly and Amgen, which we'll hear from tonight, with new formulations that can cut down or even eliminate migraines, something that seemed inconceivable not that long ago. Tevis got one, too. As someone who suffers from migraines and used to suffer constantly from them, I can tell you these drugs are truly miraculous. Finally, there's Sage Therapeutics, which saw its stock skyrocket more than 41% today, thanks to some positive data on postpartum depression drugs. I've talked to CEO Jeff Jonas several times over the years to check the progress of this thing. And and again, most doctors didn't believe a really effective treatment for postpartum depression was even possible. The illness is so hard to combat that Jonas was widely viewed as the Don Quixote of the pharma industry. Not anymore. 
Sage's drug had a dramatic effect on almost half the patients who took it. And as the company uh, tickers with it, I bet the results will get even better down the road. Don't you wish you owned some Sage going into this morning's uh, uh, session? Now, of course, there's another component here. The economy is slowing, even though we have some good retail sales today. And these are the kinds of companies you buy when you're worried about a slowdown, something that's still on the table, even as the Fed finally got religion about holding off on more rate hikes last week. However, there's more to these drug stocks than that. They're not just a way to bet on a weaker economy. No, these are companies with real answers for real needs. They're making products that can't or won't be replicated for many years. And while these drugs are often very expensive, many of them are meant to help you Get out of a hospital faster or ensure you never even go to one in the first place. Bottom line, yes, there's innovation in Silicon Valley. I'm hearing about some great technologies coming out of the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. But you want investable innovation? The best of the best are here in San Francisco at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. I say we take some calls. I say we go to JR in Nevada. JR. Hey, a big booyah for you from uh, Las Vegas, Jim. How are you? I am doing fabulous. Love Vegas. Getting some football going there. What's up? So, Jim, uh, I was on your show about 11 years ago asking a pretty similar question. I think you were absolutely right in September 2007. I think you were trying to protect us by calling out the Fed. And my question is, if Fedpocalypse happens and the Fed just drives up interest rates like a clown car, how do you feel about a six to eight month mix of long euro dollars, first cash, FCFS, and MGM? Because Vegas is strong with mad money and cash based business. Wow. Well, that's a, it's quite a mouthful there. I mean, if the Fed's going to take rates up like that, you know what I want to do? I want to own CDs. I mean, I'm not kidding. Uh, I just think that that would be reckless, imprudent, and make it so that cash would be king along with masterworks and expensive housing. Those are the only things that have really held up over what obviously he thinks would be hyperinflation. So I'm heading towards CDs. CDs, unexciting, but I don't want to make money in the apocalypse. How about Kyle Marilyn? Kyle. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. My question for you is about the head and shoulders pattern you discussed right. on December 28th. Right. When trying to find the head and shoulders on any given chart, is there a strict price line for the head? I'm sorry, for the left and right shoulders to form, or can they be slightly different prices and the model still work? In addition, when trying to locate the head, how significant must the price change be in order to be considered a true head? Okay, but this is a great question. The answer is yes. I like the symmetry of it. A lot of the really good technicians would agree with me that if you get the symmetry, then you know where things are going to break down. For a head, I, you know, to me, you're talking about multiple days up, multiple days at the top, and then multiple days going down, although it tends to go down faster. It's a very reliable pattern, and I think it's one that you always have to be aware of. Thank you, Kyle. Now, real investable innovation. It's not limited to Silicon Valley anymore. In fact, many tech companies are leaving me wanting more than just emojis. Healthcare companies like the ones we are interviewing here at the J.P. Morgan Health Conference are where I'm looking for innovation. On Mad Money Tonight from CBC, one market in San Francisco. It's the largest healthcare conference of the year. And tonight I've got the exclusive look at the company's breaking news and shaping the next generations of breakthroughs at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. First up, as Novartis turns to cutting edge areas of medical research, could the economy not only boost life, could the company not only boost life expectancies, also returns. I'm talking with the CEO. Plus, it's one of my favorite biotech companies. The CEO is joining me for the first time tonight. Don't miss my exclusive with Amgen. And I'll reveal the real reason the semis turned around after months of being in the doldrums. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. We're out here in San Francisco for the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, one of the few events where you get nearly all of the most important executives in industry in a single place. Oh, so much to learn out here. I love it. Take Novartis, the gigantic $200 billion Swiss drug company. Lately, the company's been selling off non-core businesses like its vaccine division, its U.S. generic drug operation, and the upcoming spinoff of its Alcon Eye Care division, while also doubling down on biotech, especially gene therapies. It's got a gigantic number of potential blockbusters, perhaps more than any other company I follow. Now, earlier today, we had a chance to speak with Vas Narasimhan. He is just over CEO Novartis a little less than a year ago, and he has revolutionized this place. Take a look. Fast, we're out here at J.P. Morgan, and I'm interviewing a lot of CEOs, trying to figure out what they have in the pipe. I may be wrong, but I think Novartis has the most drugs and most blockbusters in the pipe of any of the major forms. Yeah, we're quite excited about our pipeline. I mean, we have about 26 potential blockbusters in in, uh, confirmatory development, 12 that could be coming in the next few years. So it really shows that consistent investment in R&D has really, really paid off at the company. I'm quite optimistic, quite bullish about our our pipeline now for for the years to come. And what would be the total adjustable market of these? And I'm trying to get a sense of, yeah, look, there's blockbusters and then there's blockbusters. What do you have? You know, we, we hope a few of these will turn into real mega blockbusters. But as you know, it's always it's always difficult. Launching in our industry requires a lot of discipline and, and requires, I think, a lot of consistency to get the launches right. But what we see is we have a, a you know a set of medicines that are really transformative. I mean, when you think about something like AVXS 101 or Avexis medicine, I mean, this is something that cures children potentially of a terminal disease, and that's pretty extraordinary. Okay, cures is different from treating chronically. Your company doesn't seem to be afraid of solving something, even though we know that once you solved it, it doesn't produce years of growth. You know, when I take a look at a company like ours, we want to win for, for 10 years at least, and then we want to you know, win for, for decades to come. And we have to make bets on completely new areas. Historically, we were about small molecules and right. antibodies. Now we're getting into gene therapies and cell therapies that could cure patients of disease. And my belief is there are a lot of diseases we could tackle with these technologies and, and really provide cures. And what we're really finding out is that society wants that and that right. ultimately they will value it. My conviction is that we'll figure out the payment systems, we'll figure out those challenges. But if you're a company that could consistently bring cures to patients, you're really well positioned to, to be successful. At the same time, there's a household brand that many of us use, Alcon. You're willing to get rid of Alcon. Yeah. 
You know, my conviction is we need to focus the company and focus the capital. There's so much great science. There's so much possibilities in cell and gene therapies in our core pipeline. We simply can't use our capital across all of the different areas we're in. So what we're doing with Alcon is a spin, a tax-neutral spin to our shareholders. Right. Say, shareholder, look, you get to own Alcon, which is a leading medical devices company, leading in its space, a great company with a great outlook. So you have the opportunity now to own that great leading company and own Novartis, which is a pretty compelling op option, I think. All right, I'm going to push back on that. Yeah. Uh, Alcon, 7%, surgical is really important. That is science. You're willing to lose the surgical part, too. Well, you know, what, what we're really looking for is places where there's true synergies okay. in the group, right? And when I look at medical devices and contact lenses, clearly huge opportunity to address blindness, but it doesn't fit with our core innovative medicines model. And so that's why I think it makes sense to let Alcon be a, free to really develop itself as a, as a standalone company. You own the international rights to Amavid. We are doing a huge amount with Amgen on this. How's it working for you? I know it's earlier. Yep. I know it's earlier, yep. but you probably can give me a little sense here in January. I mean, what, what's exciting first is you, when you think about it, these migraine patients have not had a solution <clears throat> ever, really. A really compelling op option. Migraine is an incredibly prevalent disease. It affects a lot of women working age. So really, this is a disease that needs a solution. So Amovic came on, and we've seen explosive uptake in the U.S., really a great partnership with Amgen. Now as we enter into Europe, the key is going to be to get that reimbursement right. in place. And that's what we're working through, get the reimbursement in place. But what's really interesting about Amovig is this is a patient-driven launch. These are patients who demand this medicine because they want a better life. And when you have that on, on, on your corner, that, that's a really good place to be. That's a great point because people may be the theme of 2019. People taking control. That's something you guys are looking at. I mean, when you look at digital tech, I mean, everybody wants to control their, their health. They want to have that information. And this is, Aimevig is a great example where social media and patients coming together really drives the uptake of the medicine. One of the most exciting things that you did was this endosite acquisition. This is a new way. Yeah. It is a new way. I need you. Here's the floor. Tell me what that does because it's a radical way to treat. Well, like I said, we're all about platforms. We're moving into cell therapy, gene therapy, and now we've got this new platform called radioligand therapy. It's actually a pretty simple concept. Really what we do is we take a drug that's really specific to a cancer, and we link it to a radioactive particle that's very controlled, and we take it to the cancer and we kill the cancer. And that's worked really well in one tumor called neuroendocrine tumors. We think it could work in prostate cancer. Frankly, we think it could work in many other solid tumor types. And what's really amazing about this for us as a company, it's really hard to replicate. You need big, big time capabilities in managing nuclear materials, a complex supply chain. And with the two acquisitions we did last year, AAA and a site, we built up that capability. Okay, so Vess, I, I need to know, let's say I'm a patient and I'm listening. I, I, and I want to know, I want to know where I get this because this could be far less invasive. Is it only just a few teaching hospitals that I can get it in the U.S.? So with, uh, right now with, uh, with the Lutathera drug, it's at about 50, 65 nuclear medicine centers uh, and it takes four infusions. But over time, we're expanding this to more and more centers across the U.S., Europe and, and Asia. So we're quite bullish about it. Wow. Okay, so here's one that I really like. This uh, Costentix. Cosentix. Cosentix. This is a already seven, seven. This has got thirty-five percent growth. Yeah. How is it possible? So it's a, it's approaching three billion dollars in sales now. Three billion for the full year. And when, when was this? When did this start? I mean, so th this is we launched it in twenty sixteen. It's a really the standard of care, I believe, now for psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis. It's really an incredible medicine. It's remarkably safe. 
and incredibly consistent in the efficacy it gives these patients. And what's exciting about the story on Cosentix is we're not finished. We're, we're, we're testing it in more and more indications, and our goal is to build this into a true, as we talked about earlier, mega blockbuster for the company. And Tresta, heart failure. Heart no one's failure. been working heart failure. It's been years before we've had an yeah. innovation heart failure. And we came with the first innovation in 15 years. It took it was, it was a little bit of a slow start, but now it's really taken off. And we're really bullish now about where Entresto's headed. We have a bunch more data coming out as well on Entresto uh, in additional heart failure indications, which don't have an, an option. So when you think about all those patients sitting at home who are suffering, need to, I mean, what Entresto does is it gives them their lives back. We get letters, I get letters from patients, and these patients can start to walk up and down the stairs again and, and get their mobility back. It's, it's incredible. Well, Vastnar, Simon, you are doing a remarkable Appreciate job. This it. is the fastest growing of the big pharmas. You got to look at Novartis. Stay with Kramer. Thanks. We saw so many different groups rally today. Retail zoomed thanks to some good holiday sale figures and a challenge to Dollar Tree's management that reverberated through the off-price cohort. You know we like to stock Dollar Tree. There was some strength in the beaten up oils. Now the crude's bouncing and nearing 50 bucks. And of course, we had some major gains in healthcare, all tied to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, which were covering like white on rice. But the biggest move today was the incredible rally in the semiconductor stocks, a group that has spent months getting clobbered. But turn things around. I think it's all about Micron, symbol moo. Specifically, BMO Capital's bold upgrade of Micron that said it was time, and I quote, to shed our bear skin, end quote, and buy the stock. The reasoning? It's all about price. Turns out Micron stock actually got cheaper as it went lower. Something that's not always the case with tech. Some stocks only seem cheaper as they go down, but then they turn out to be more expensive because their earnings are collapsing faster than their share price. Until today, many thought that was the story with Micron. Last spring, the maker of DRAMs and flash memory chips, the basic building blocks of pretty much any device you care to name, saw its stock peak at just under 65 bucks. Fewer than two weeks ago, it was at 28 and change, trading at less than four times earnings. Sell, sell, sell. No, no. You know what's the cheapest stock in the S&P 500 coming into today? Micron's a classic boom and bust business, and when DRAMs and Flash are in short supply, prices rise and the stock surge is higher. Then the Flash market was glutted with new supply, and then DRAM inventory started building up. Now, when supplies are tight, many customers will do what's called double ordering to ensure they get the chips that they need. But once more factories come online and then demand weaken, the double ordering collapse, crushing DRAM pricing, and with it, Micron's stock price. <laughs> Down at these levels, though, BMO decided enough is enough. For Micron's earnings to be totally wiped out, DRAM prices would need to fall, they say, 44% from here. And the analyst figures that's extremely unlikely. I agree. As BMO pointed out, Micron's cost reductions look a whole lot better than it did the last time we hit a boom-bust period. How about about $2 billion better? Why does this upgrade matter? Because when Micron reported last month, the company issued a horrific guide down that obliterated the entire semiconductor group, including many of the semiconductor equipment makers. And the chipmakers had already been devastated by NVIDIA, which lowered the boom on us in early October. Since then, it's been all one way, with the coup de grace coming from the Apple software pre-announcement that crushed its component suppliers. I'm talking about like Corvo, Skyworks Solutions, Cirrus Logic, and even Texas Instruments. Today, though, the semiconductors rebounded, and it's mostly about BMO's bold micron call. 
But there's a little more to it than that. Jensen Wong, the visionary CEO of NVIDIA, rolled out some fabulous new graphics chips with low price points that could reignite the flagging gaming cohort. That's thanks to the CES conference. We did a great keynote. So how do you play it? First and foremost, Intel. Intel is the cheapest and steadiest player in the space. I think it makes a ton of sense here because it's two key end markets, the data center and the PC are doing so well. Second, I actually consider Broadcom, as CEO Hoctan has diversified away from pure hardware. And he's working his magic with that recent acquisition of CA. It's a company that makes software for mainframes. Third, I like AMD, Lisa Su, even after today's epic run. Its stock cratered the fourth quarter. It's now become, uh, come roaring back because of recognition that the worst is probably already baked in. Finally, I kicked the tires on Texan, Texas Instruments, which has fallen from 120 to 94.50, and it's now got a 3.3% yield, accidentally high yielder. More importantly, the semis are a good leadership group. When they rally, it can make a big difference for the market. It could cause, say, Lamb Research, LRCX, a semiconductor capital equipment maker, with a more than 3% yield to snap out of its seemingly endless funk. Hey, you know, it could totally take up an NXP semi. I mean, that has just been so beaten down. Oh, and even Micron, of course, could be worth owning. Although I do think it's got one more bad quarter before it can make the estimates. But if you wait until after that happens, you might be too late. Which is why I agree with BMO that the stock is worth buying right here. Buy, buy, buy! Much more man money at, including my exclusive with one of the, my favorite plays, the biotech space. Don't miss my sit down with someone who never sits down, Amgen. Then I'm talking with the CEO of Bausch Health to see how the artist formerly known as Valiant is turning stuff around. And all your calls rapid fire and special San Fran edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. While we're talking about healthcare, let's not forget about my favorite biotech right now, Amgen. A stock I like so much to be owner for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Here's a company that throws off a ton of cash thanks to its huge portfolio of drugs, allowing it to pay a nearly 3% dividend buyback stock hand over fist. On top of that, Amgen's got two new drugs. It's got Amavig, this is terrific migraine treatment that's worked wonders for me. And Repatha for LDL cholesterol, a drug that the company recently cut the price of to promote broader adoption. But beyond Repatha, I think this company's got a great story to tell, which is why I'm thrilled to sit down with Bob Bradway, the terrific, incredibly non-promotional chairman and CEO of Amgen, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Bradway, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I'm so glad you're on this show. Thanks well, for first having of all, me. on behalf of the millions of migraine sufferers, I want to thank you. I was one of those people who had about 20 to 25 a month, which you know is a lot. And uh, Dr. Lawrence Newman, who runs the, the he's big in the headache society, runs neurology at, at uh, NYU, said, listen, we've got this drug, and it's called Amavig, and it's going to get rid of your migraines. It, you invented something huge. Well, we're excited about it, Jim, and I'm glad you're getting benefit from, from Amovig. And Amovig is the first drug that was specifically developed for migraine sufferers. And it's a biologic, as you know, that uh, interferes with the pathway that otherwise causes migraine. So the feedback so far from patients and doctors has been terrific. It's very clear from the uh uh, your conference calls that this may be one of the fastest launches. I know there's trialing, but one of the fastest launches you've ever seen in your career. Well, we've had, that's right, uh, Jim, we've had 150,000 patients already benefit from Amavig. So uh, I think what that reflects is the huge pent-up demand 
from migraine sufferers for a therapy developed specifically for them uh, and a therapy that can dramatically reduce the number of migraine days that sufferers experience. Now, there are competitors. Teva's got a competitor. Lily has a competitor. Lily is telling me, look, ours is the easiest. You can get it at CVS and Walgreens. You probably got yours through McKesson. I have to admit, I did through McKesson, and sometimes it was hard because there was such a rush for them to get them on the phone. What do you do to make it more of it generally available? Well, we're uh, the first in class with this new biologic right. agent, Jim, and we're excited about doing everything we can to make sure that patients have access to it and have a good experience using the drug. Okay, so Repatha, yep. today you cut the price. This is another drug that uh, really good cardiologists say you should be on even if your cholesterol is not that high. Talk to me about what you've had to do to get it so that more people take this, given the fact that this is maybe the largest drug, I think, in history, if you get it right. Well, maybe we can start, Jim, with the, the unmet medical need. Okay. Uh, this is cardiovascular disease is still the biggest public health burden that we face as a society, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Uh, and so in the United States alone, we spend $600 billion a year on cardiovascular disease. Uh, and the main reason for that is LDL levels are right, too high. Right. So the bad cholesterol is LDL. This is a therapy, again, a biologic, specifically designed to lower the bad cholesterol, LDL, which it does on average by 63%. Uh, but you're right, some time ago, and today we're uh, making further change, but some time ago we lowered the price by 60% for the every two weekly dose, and today we're lowering it for the monthly as well. Uh, we found too many patients were prescribed this therapy, but were struggling to pay for it at the pharmacy counter, uh, and so we've made the decision to lower by 60% uh, the cost, and the reaction so far from physicians and from patients has been very, very encouraging. Well, would it make up for the fact that you cut the price? I mean, is it that kind of elasticity? Well, I think what we're finding is that patients that were walking away from the prescription, so right. patients whose doctors had already uh, identified them at, as being at high risk for heart attack and stroke right. are now being able to get access to the medicine. Okay, now you do have some other drugs that we know are, I mean, when I look at your Q3 uh, product sales, you've got double-digit growth in new and recently launched products, like hey, they look mm-hmm. about. but then you have product sales growth of only 1% for the others, including some that are going down. Are you prepared with all your cash to be able to uh, deal with the possibility that some people say, wait a second, there's New drugs aren't happening fast enough, and the old drugs are falling off faster. Well, we have uh, four areas of big growth right now. We have cancer. Our cancer portfolio is growing. Cardiovascular uh, portfolio is growing. Bone health uh, and migraine. And then in addition, we're launching biosimilar medicines, which we expect to be an important source of growth for us as well. So we expect uh, to be a uh, company that continues to grow handsomely on the top line and earnings per share over the long term. Uh, we're excited about the innovation that we see arising at our at our business. Okay, recently, Elliot Levy, is senior vice president of global development, said we have the flexibility to pursue small deals, large deals, partnerships, M and A. And we look at everything that's in the marketplace. Every time you see a deal that's done, you can assume that we have looked at it as well. Did you look at Celgene? Well, we look at uh, transactions that we think we can add value to, or look at companies that we think we can add value to. So, we look at, uh, in particular, those that are active in the chosen therapeutic areas of, of Amgen's focus. Uh, and so we pay close attention to what's happening in cancer, cardiovascular, bone health, inflammation, and disease areas like that. Now, you have bought you, uh, 733 million shares five years ago, now down to 649 million. Uh, the stock has had a run. Is it still va- valuable to buy even right here? 
Well, uh, I guess I'd say two things, uh, Jim. We've committed to returning capital to our shareholders through the form of a dividend that we've steadily increased. Right. In fact, we've increased it by more than 400% since we initiated the dividend in 2011. And we've also been an active repurchaser of shares. Uh, and the commitment we've made to our shareholders is that capital allocation is a forethought, not an afterthought, right. uh, and that we expect it will continue to be through buybacks and dividend growth. Okay, there is a lawsuit going on. You said on the last conference call that uh, there's a possibility that we get a, a, a judge's decision maybe in the first quarter for one of your most important drugs. Uh, and I'm wondering whether I should tell people to wait until the court decision comes down, or is it just something that it, you'll be buying back stock if it, uh, if it comes down? Yeah, intellectual property is a feature of our industry, Jim, and at any given point in time, the leaders in our industry like Amgen have important intellectual property lawsuits, and we have uh, some underway now, and I think that's what you're referring to. Right, yeah. but someone who is owns the stock should not be fretting every minute about these things. Well, I think intellectual property defense is a, is a fact of life, unfortunately, in the innovative biopharmaceutical industry. So I want to go back to Ama Vig and my, you know, my favorite Dr. Newman, because he asked me to, to ask this. He says that it's very difficult get the word out that only about 10% of the people who could have these drugs know about them. And then there's a lot of other people who don't understand, who don't have migraines, mm-hmm. who think that when you have a migraine, you're just a gold bricker. You're a guy with a headache. You're a guy who doesn't want to yeah. you know, work that day. This is a very different kind of illness. And unless yeah. you have one, I, I don't know if people know about it. It's a very debilitating disease. And I think part of what we've been able to do with Amovig is help explain the biologic basis of migraine and help people understand that this is a disease and that sufferers don't have to suffer in silence. Uh, and so we're doing our level best to try to educate patients, physicians, and payers, and employers as well, uh, right. about the, uh, the challenge of, of migraine, the fact that it is a serious neurologic disease, it's a very debilitating disease, and it's one that we may be able to help address with Amovig. And there's a lot of lost work days. There's a lot of, uh, of lack of productivity for people who want to be productive with, uh, even though they have migraines. And migraine tends to afflict predominantly women, uh, right. and again, it, in child rearing and peak working years. So this is a particularly relevant disorder and uh, disease for people in the prime of their working and family lives. Well, thank you for what you do. Okay, that's Bob Bradway. He's the chairman and CEO of Amgen. Yes, my favorite biotech. Man, money's back Thank you. It is time for a special West Coast edition of the Light Around Man Money. That's where I take your calls. I'm very excited. I'm excited. Bye bye. So it's better than something you don't even play to sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve, Dad, it's time for the lightning round. Let's start with Mark in Florida. Mark. Booyah, Kramer. This is Mark from 80 Degree Naples, Florida. All right. Uh, My wife and I uh, had a stock that we liked uh, a lot, which was Mazor Robotics, which was bought the last week of uh, December by Medtronics. And we were wanting to get your take on Medtronics since we don't have the Mazor anymore. Yeah. Okay, so Medtronic, people were saying that they actually uh, gave you a view for fiscal 20 that was below what people were looking for. I have to investigate because i got to tell you, I think this is one of the great stocks. I'm not giving up Medtronic until I've done a little more work. Let's go to 10 Georgia. 10. Yeah, uh, stamps.com, STMP. You know, this is just a giant short squeeze. I want you to be very, very careful of this stock. It is a wild trader, and it is not my favorite because I don't really understand how they make a lot of money. I do welcome them on the show, though. Let's go to Lisa in Illinois. Lisa! Hi, Jim. Thanks so much Hi, for Lisa. taking my call. 
Of course. Hey, I purchased uh, Transocean back in 2008 when it was $152 uh-huh. per share. Mm, it took a big early. hit, however, yeah. in 2010 after the oil rig disaster. And I thought it would recover many years later, but it is now down to about $8 per right. share. I see they recently won an $830 million five-year drilling contract with Chevron. Mm-hmm. And was one, wanting to know basically if I should keep holding on to the stock or sell it now. And Lisa, at this on. point, I want you to hold on. I think this group is dramatically oversold, but I will tell you about 20 to 25 percent higher. You're going to have to exit because it's just not that kind of market. But they need a hundred dollar oil to really kill it. Let's go to Al in Nebraska. Al. Al, I'm here. Okay, Al, hit me. Hit me again. Okay, Jim Kramer. This is Al. I'm calling from. The Western Nebraska Panhandle. I'm calling oh my about Kraft Heinz. Okay. It's uh, got a five uh, five uh, earning price earning ratio and pays over five percent, but it's lost over half its value since the merger. Does this this stock, stock has what I call no mojo. Now, this stock is a, a goalpost hitter and then a bounce off and then a, a zero. I, it's not going to go to zero, but I think that Kraft Heinz is, not, is a stock that if it goes back to 50, I want you to sell, sell, sell. Can I be more clear? No. Let's go to Lewis in Ohio. Lewis. Yeah. Lewis, Booyah, you're up there, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Yes, yeah, so my stock is HMSY. And it uh, uh, provides uh, uh, services for the government and Medicare service. That well, if, if that's what you like, if that's what you like, you want to be in that cohort, then I suggest you go back to Centene, CNC, which is off hardly from 148 all the way down to 115. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. For those of you who are worried about a worldwide economic slowdown, you need some recession-resistant stocks in your portfolio. There's nothing more recession-proof than a pharmaceutical company, which is one reason we're out here in San Francisco for the big J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. But you don't just want any big pharma stock. You want one with a catalyst, something that makes the business more appealing than your run-of-the-mill drug maker. Take Bausch Health Companies, BHC, the Canadian drug company formerly known as Valiant. Back in 2016, a scandal plague Valiant was circling the drain, and many investors assumed that the company was just a roadkill. Then Joe Papa stepped in as CEO, and ever since, he's been delivering one of the greatest turnaround stories in history. He sold off tons of non-core assets, doubled down on the most promising divisions like Bausch and Loam Eye Care, uh, hence the name change, and got aggressive about paying down the company's humongo debt pile. So what's next for Bausch Health? Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Joe Papa, Bausch Health's takeover artist, chairman, and CEO. Take a look at this one. Joe, this presentation, 2019, Pivoting to offense says it all. Tell people what it means. Well, Jim, we are really excited that in 2019, we are pivoting to offense. Number one, we're building on the momentum we had for 2018. 
Number two, as we think about where we're going, we think there's some mega trends that are truly going to drive our business, especially in our eye care business, Bausch Health. Uh, for all, all Bausch Health, but specifically in Bausch and Lam. Number three, it's all about new products. We've been very successful with launching the new products. Now we're really starting to see some of the growth, especially in what I would refer to our significant seven. And the final area, which is new for us this year, uh, is we started to do some, in late 2018, some M&A where we can bolt on products into our existing business. That, we think, is going to help us in 2019 and beyond. Some of these analysts are saying, well, listen, that's back to the old Valiant. They're buying something. I see it as the opposite. I think that you've gotten this balance sheet clean enough. You can play offense. Absolutely correct. We view it as, for example, we put a stalking horse bid in for a company called Synergy that is in the gastroenterology primary care space. It's a perfect add-on to our product, Zyfaxin, where we're already in gastroenterology primary care, and it just fits so well together. That's what makes us really excited about what we can do for the future. This guide-up seems uniquely, you said some great things this morning, about organic growth. I mean, this is actual, came from the lab, organic growth. This is not Valiant. This is Bausch. That's exactly right. And we've increased our R&D investment significantly. I know people, first question when I first joined the company, well, you don't have R&D. Well, I said, yes, we do. I'm paying over 1,000 people every day to bring new products to the marketplace, and they're doing a really good job getting our products to the marketplace, and importantly, products that can help make a difference in patients' lives. And that's what we, why we're doing really well and starting to see the organic growth. Uh, Salix is, I think, a unique property, and you've taken it to the next level with some big organic growth. Yeah, absolutely. It's 16% organic growth. Uh, so that's, and mostly behind the strength of a product called Zyfaxin, but also another drug, Relistor or Aprizo. Those drugs are helping patients, uh, especially with Zyfaxin. It's really making a difference for patients. We found with Zyfaxin, for example, that if patients who have hepatic encephalopathy, we can reduce rehospitalization by 50%, and which saves society a lot of money. Now, one of the things that uh, you've never dodged, your CFO recently gave a presentation, and he said, we freely admit we are over-levered. When will we not have to say that? <laughs> well, we're working on that. And Paul Heronin, the CFO, has done a fabulous job of working through the, the short-term maturities we have and giving us freedom to operate. Uh, but our, our view is that today we're still levered about seven times. But what we're doing is reinvesting in the business to grow our EBITDA. As we grow EBITDA, obviously, that's the best way to get out of this over-levered situation. Uh, but we, we think in the near term, as we have a plan, uh, we'll continue to increase EBITDA. As we increase EBITDA, that's the best way to get through this le over-levered situation. Others feel that the best way to do it is when the stock spiked to 26, you should have done a big equity offering. I don't think that's your style, right? Now, we, we view our company as we have to always consider that, but we view the best way to do this is grow the EBITDA, grow the revenue, and as we do that, we have a plan to work our way through this. We always have to think about all the alternatives, to be clear, as any good business does, but we think the best way is to grow the company, grow revenue, grow EBITDA. Joe, a couple nights a week, I don't like to sleep. It's just a waste of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do some work. I got one thing that makes it happen that no one can know why I stayed up all night. It's called Lumify. How big is this one little bottle? So we launched that product in May. It has done outstanding. Uh, within, from May to now, it's already picked up a 25, over 25% market share in the redness reliever category, so that's fabulous. But more importantly, it is the number one recommended product by physicians for relieving redness of the eye from both the optometrist, the ophthalmologist, because it's a better mechanism of action than a lot of the older products. So it's doing really well. Works within one minute, lasts eight hours. Doesn't sting. Doesn't sting. 
Okay, so uh, we're getting a spinoff. Novartis spinning off Alcon. I, I think Alcon's going to be more focused. Something you need to worry about? Well, I, I actually think when people look at Alcon, they're going to say, good business, going to probably trade at a very high EBITDA multiple, yes. which I actually think is going to be good for the Bausch stock because people will reevaluate the sum of the parts of, of Bausch and Lomb. Uh, but importantly, we think we have the most integrated eye care company in the world, even including Alcon, because we have the surgical business, we have the prescription business, we have the over-the-counter consumer business, and, and clearly we have the uh, RX business. And so we, we've got the most integrated uh, business in the world when it comes to eye care, contact lenses, et cetera. So that, for that reason, we are very excited about what that means uh, in terms of having an integrated business because it helps. It even helped us with the success of Lumify because of we're in talking to all the optometrists, ophthalmologists with the product. Uh, in one minute left, I, I, there's people like the Piper and us went from sell to buy. And one of the reasons why, psoriasis, very big product, huge category for you. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's a very large category. A lot of patients out there with it. What we have found is that by reformulating some, a product like Halobetazole, which we help rehally, and then hopefully we'll get Duobri approved in February. We have a Padufa date in February. Uh, we think those two products will help patients with psoriasis uh, by by improving their psoriasis because everybody needs uh, a product like a hypocorticosteroid that helps their patients and obviously it will save people money because it's a lot less expensive than some of these uh, biolog injectable biologics. And all the patients that we've talked to, over 85% of the patients use a topical product. We think we got the right product. Well, you are playing offense and you're doing it with organic growth and improved balance sheet and just a sense of mission, Joe. Like you said, because you got through the litigation, you got through all the bad press, and now you are on top. This stock's buy. Joe Papa, Chairman, CEO, Balance Health. What a company, what a transformation. He predicted it on our show. A lot of people didn't believe it. That's right. You know, I've been a stalwart supporter of Amazon. It's owned by my travel trust. You can follow along at ActionLogeBus.com Club. Today, largest company had a very big move. I want you to stay in Amazon. If you don't own it, you should be a buyer of Amazon. Why? Because of Amazon Web Services, because of Amazon Retail, and Amazon Advertising. It is much more than just a Prime membership. Most important, at the top of the show, I talked about innovation. I think Amazon is in innovating at the same pace as many of the great drug companies. So AMZN, stay long. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here at Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.